0: Open your Bible to Judges 20. I'm going to uh, finish Judges this evening, Lord willing, and I'd like for you to uh, remember, particularly a couple weeks ago when we studied Judges 19, we're in the period, uh, or the, the, the area of the book that's sort of the appendices, where there are some selected events that illustrate the fact that every man did what was right in his own eyes, that there was no king, there was no authority, there was no... Uh, following after God and his will, and as a result, the kinds of horrible things that we read about in these last chapters of Judges occurred. In Judges 19, there was a Levite whose concubine left him, and he later went to his father-in-law's house to get her. His father-in-law entertained him several days, and then in an afternoon, he and his servant and his concubine left. They could have stopped in a Jebusite city, but they wanted to uh, spend the night in a city of the Israelites, well, a city that would be hospitable to them. So they went to the city of Gabeah where they thought that uh, they could find lodging and so forth, but actually none of the Benjamites in Gabeah took them in, but an Ephraimite finally did that had taken up residence there. And uh, the men of the city wanted to have the man to be able to spend the night with him, much as the men of Sodom, wanted those two angels in Genesis chapter 19. And uh, the man... Uh, suggested and sort of threw out his concubine to them, thinking that that would perhaps satisfy them. And it it did. They spent the night uh, abusing her and left her half dead on the doorstep. Apparently she did die. And uh, when the Levite got ready to leave the next morning, he went out the door and saw her there on the doorstep. And he said, come on, let's go. And uh, she was dead. So he gathered her up and he took her home and he dismembered her and he sent a piece of her to each of the tribes. And that's sort of where we left that uh, rather depraved story. But that's just really the uh, beginning of the story. In chapter 20, verse 1, Then all the sons of Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, including the land of Gilead, came out, and the congregation assembled as one man to the Lord at Mizpah. By the way, the land of Gilead would be on the right-hand side of the Jordan. And the chiefs of all the people, even of all the tribes of Israel, took their stand in the assembly of the people of God, 400,000 foot soldiers who drew the sword. Now the sons of Benjamin heard that the sons of Israel had gone up to Mizpah, and the sons of Israel said, Tell us, how did this wickedness take place? So the Levite, the husband of the woman who was murdered, answered and said, I came with my concubine to spend the night at Gibeah, which belongs to Benjamin. But the men of Gibeah rose up against me and surrounded the house at night because of me, They intended to kill me. Instead, they ravished my concubine so that she died. And I took hold of my concubine and cut her in pieces and sent her throughout the land of Israel's inheritance, for they have committed a lewd and disgraceful act in Israel. Behold, all you sons of Israel, give your advice and counsel here. Then all the people arose as one man, saying, Not one of us will go to his tent, nor will any of us return to his house. But now this is the thing which we will do to Gibeah, We will go up against it by lot, and we will take ten men out of a hundred throughout the tribes of Israel, and a hundred out of a thousand, and a thousand out of ten thousand, to supply food for the people. But when they come to Gibeah Benjamin, they may punish them for all the disgraceful acts that they have committed in Israel. Thus all the men of Israel were gathered against the city, united as one man. Then the tribes of Israel sent men throughout the entire tribe of Benjamin, saying... What is this wickedness that has taken place among you? Now then deliver up the men, the worthless fellows in Gibeah, that we may put them to death and remove this wickedness from Israel. But the sons of Benjamin would not listen to the voice of their brothers, the sons of Israel, and the sons of Benjamin gathered from the cities of Gibeah to go out to battle against the sons of Israel. And from the cities on that day the sons of Benjamin were numbered, 26,000 men who were "...who draw the sword, besides the inhabitants of Gibeah who were numbered, seven hundred choice men. Out of all these people, seven hundred choice men were left-handed. Each one could sling a stone at a hair and not miss. Then the men of Israel, besides Benjamin, were numbered, four hundred thousand men who draw the sword. All these were men of war. Now the sons of Israel arose, went up to Bethel, and inquired of God, and said, "...who shall go up first for us to battle against the sons of Benjamin?" Then the Lord said, Judah shall go up first. Now you see the story unfolding here that the people of Israel, having each tribe received a piece of the deceased concubine, were outraged, and they came together, and they mobilized for war. They asked the tribe of Benjamin just to deliver up the wicked men in Gibeah, but the Benjamites backed the people of Gibeah, and so the other tribes decided to just fight against the whole tribe of Benjamin. Now there are several parallels between what's happening here and the very first chapter of Judges. In Judges chapter 1, we see a chapter filled with war. War is intended to exterminate people. And in that chapter... They asked the question of God, which tribe should go up first, and the tribe that he said was the tribe of Judah, just like he does here. And so it sort of seems like we're seeing a similar thing repeated, but the similarities between these two stories, I think, serve to highlight the differences. And the main difference is in Judges chapter 1 they're fighting against the Canaanites, the people of the land, the foreigners. Here they're fighting against their fellow Israelites. They now are turning to destroy themselves. And perhaps in some ways it's appropriate because by their conduct the Israelites have showed themselves to be practical Canaanites. That's the way they're living. If the people who live like Canaanites, ought to be exterminated, then probably all the Israelites would be in for that kind of treatment. And so that's that's one thing to, to give some thought to. I think it's interesting, the unanimity of the response of these tribes. I don't remember anywhere else in the book of Judges, as judges, deliverers, raised army after army, where they were ever able to raise this many men from all the tribes to fight. And again, how ironic that this greatest response, this huge gathering is not a gathering for worship. And it's not a gathering for war against the Canaanites. It's a gathering for war against their own tribe, the tribe of Benjamin. Now, It's also interesting to me that they mobilize for war. And it's very unequal odds, obviously, 11 tribes versus 1. That's not very good odds for the one tribe. But that they asked the Lord a question in verse 18. They asked, who shall go up first for us to battle against the sons of Benjamin? As I said, that's almost identical. Who shall go up first for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? Judges chapter 1 and verse 1. But, but I think it's interesting that they asked that question here. Now, in Judges 1, they already knew they were supposed to go up against the Canaanites. God had told them that over and over again. Here, they just assume God wants them to go into battle against Benjamin, and all they ask is which tribe should go first. They just raise the procedural question. They never ask the more fundamental question, should we go to battle? Seems to me like that would have probably been a wise move. It's logical that Judah would be the tribe chosen to go up first because the concubine was from Judah. And so Judah was perhaps the tribe that was most affected. It was one of their own that had been violated. And so as we continue reading in verse 19, so the sons of Israel rose in the morning and camped against Gabeah. And the men of Israel went out to battle against Benjamin and the men of Israel arrayed for battle against them at Gibeah. Then the sons of Benjamin came out of Gibeah and felled to the ground on that day 22,000 men of Israel. But the people of the men of Israel encouraged themselves and arrayed for battle again in the place where they had arrayed themselves the first day. And the sons of Israel went up and went before the Lord until evening and inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall we again draw near for the battle against the sons of my brother Benjamin? And the Lord said, Go up against him. Then the sons of Israel came against the sons of Benjamin the second day. And Benjamin went out against them from Gibeah the second day and fell to the ground again. Eighteen thousand men of the sons of Israel, all these, drew the sword. Then all the sons of Israel and all the people went up and came to Bethel and wept. Thus they remained there before the Lord and fasted that day until evening. And they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And the sons of Israel inquired of the Lord, for the ark of the covenant of God was there in those days. And Phinehas, the son of Eliezer, Aaron's son, stood before it to minister in those days, saying, Shall I yet again go out to battle against the sons of my brother Benjamin, or shall I cease? And the Lord said, Go up, for tomorrow I will deliver them into your hand. When the Israelites asked in the beginning which tribe should go up first, God said, Judah. He didn't say they'd win. They didn't. The 11 tribes lost to the one tribe, lost 22,000 soldiers. So they asked if they should go up again, and the Lord said yes, but he didn't tell them they'd win. And on day number two, they lost 18,000 more soldiers. I'll tell you, the underdog's not doing bad. Almost sounds like UofL against UK yesterday, doesn't it? No, but so uh, after two victories by the Benjamites, you see a big change in Israel. You see that the Israelites were humbled. They, they don't act like they did the first two times. First time, well, what time do you want, God? Second time, they're a little bit more humble, but by this third time, after they've lost twice, they've lost some of that bravado and some of that, well, you know, we're going to do this. God, who do you want to go up first? Here, all the Israelites go up before God, Actually, the, the text says, they went up and came to Bethel, emphasizing the fact they really went there. They, they cried and they fasted all day before the Lord. They offered sacrifices and they asked the question, should we or should we stop? That's the first time they've asked that question. You know, they've been assuming that's what God wanted them to do, but now they've put it on the table. God, do you want us just not to go up? Perhaps if they had shown that degree of humility and that degree of concern for the will of the Lord in the first place, they could have saved about 40,000 men. Well, God tells them this time, no, go up. Tomorrow I will deliver them into your hands. So look at verse 29. So Israel sent sent men in ambush around Gibeah, and the sons of Israel went up against the sons of Benjamin on the third day and arrayed themselves against Gibeah as at other times. And the sons of Benjamin went out against the people and were drawn away from the city. And they began to strike and kill some of the people, as at other times, on the highways, one of which goes up to Bethel, and the other to Gebeah, and in the field about thirty men of Israel. And the sons of Benjamin said, They are struck down before us, as at the first. But the sons of Israel said, Let us flee, that we may draw them away from the city to the highways. Then all the men of Israel arose from their place and arrayed themselves at Baal Tamar. And the men of Israel, in ambush, broke out of their place, even out of Moabjibah. When 10,000 choice men from all Israel came against Gabeah, the battle became fierce, but Benjamin did not know that disaster was close to them. And the Lord struck Benjamin before Israel, so that the sons of Israel destroyed 25,100 men of Benjamin that day, all who draw the sword. So the sons of Benjamin saw that they were defeated when the men of Israel gave ground to Benjamin because they relied on the men in ambush whom they had set against Gabeah. The men in ambush hurried and rushed against Gabeah. The men in ambush also deployed and struck all the city with the edge of the sword. Now the appointed sign between the men of Israel and the men in ambush was that they should make a great cloud of smoke rise from the city. Then the men of Israel turned in the battle, and Benjamin began to strike and kill about thirty men of Israel, for they said, Surely they are defeated before us, as in the first battle. But when the cloud began to rise from the city in a column of smoke, Benjamin looked behind them, and behold, the whole city was going up in smoke to heaven. Then the men of Israel turned, and the men of Benjamin were terrified, for they saw that disaster was close to them. Therefore they turned their backs before the men of Israel toward the direction of the wilderness. But the battle overtook them, while those who came out of the cities destroyed them in the midst of them. They surrounded Benjamin, pursued them without rest, and trod them down opposite Gibeah toward the east. Thus 18,000 men of Benjamin fell... All these were valiant warriors. The rest turned and fled toward the wilderness to the rock of Rimmon, but they caught 5,000 of them on the highways and overtook them at Gidom and killed 2,000 of them. So all of Benjamin who fell that day were 25,000 men who drew the sword. All these were valiant warriors, but 600 men turned and fled toward the wilderness to the rock of Rimmon, and they re- remained at the rock of Rimmon four months. Then the men of Israel turned back against the sons of Benjamin and struck them with the edge of the sword, both the entire city with the cattle and all that they found. They also set on fire all the cities which they found. It's interesting that the Israelites sort of uh, used their previous defeats to win this victory. They sort of set uh, an advance party going against the Benjamites. When the Benjamites come out, they allow themselves to lose some men and they start retreating. The Benjamites think, we've got him again! We've got him on the run! We'll massacre a bunch more. Often pride goes before destruction. And while the Israelite army starts retreating, there's an ambush party that goes into the city of Gibeah and burns it. And then the Benjamites suddenly realize what's happened, and they're caught between the two uh, group of Israelite troops and and are killed. Only 600 Benjamite men remain. It's interesting, we've noted earlier, uh, last week, some of the parallels between Gibeah and Sodom. This is another one. In Genesis chapter 19 and verse 28, the smoke of the land of Sodom and Gomorrah ascended like the smoke of a furnace. Now the smoke of the city of Gabeah goes up. In that same way, God has allowed the Israelites to exterminate one of their cities in the same way that he had exterminated Sodom and Gomorrah. And the tribe of Benjamin was practically wiped off the, the map. Now, there's, there's some uh, things to observe in this. If the Israelites had only had a similar degree of zeal in annihilating the Canaanites, like God had told them to at the beginning of the book, there might not have been all these problems we read throughout the rest of the book. We read in chapter one that they didn't do it; they wimped out, and they allowed the Canaanites to continue in the land. If they had, if they'd used this kind of persistence and wiped out the Canaanites, it would have been so much better for them. They even here, and we'll see this in the beginning of the next chapter, they take a pledge that none of the Israelites will allow any of his daughters to marry a Benjamite man. Now, wouldn't that have been good if they had followed through on that pledge with the Canaanites like God had told them to? They're more zealous in wiping out this tribe of their own than they ever had been in wiping out the enemies of the Lord, the Canaanite peoples in the land. But in chapter 21 and verse 1, Now the men of Israel had sworn in Mizpah, saying, None of us shall give his daughter to Benjamin in marriage. So the people came to Bethel and sat there before God until evening and lifted up their voices and wept bitterly. And they said... Why, O Lord God of Israel, has this come about in Israel, so that one tribe should be missing today in Israel? And it came about the next day that the people arose early and built an altar there and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. Then the sons of Israel said, Who is there among all the tribes of Israel who did not come up in the assembly of the Lord? For they had taken a great oath concerning him who did not come up to the Lord at Mizpah, saying, He shall surely be put to death. And the sons of Israel were sorry for their brother Benjamin and said... One tribe is cut off from Israel today. What shall we do for wives for those who are left, since we have sworn by the Lord not to give them any of our daughters in marriage? And they said, What one is there of the tribes of Israel who did not come up to the Lord at Mizpah? And behold, no one had come up to the camp from Jabesh-Gilead to the assembly. For when the people were numbered, behold, not one of the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead was there. And the congregation sent 12,000 of the valiant warriors there and commanded them, saying, Go and strike the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead with the edge of the sword with the women and the little ones, and this is the thing that you shall do. You shall utterly destroy every man and every woman who is lain with a man. And they found among the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead 400 young virgins who had not known a man by lying with him, and they brought them to the camp at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan. Then the whole congregation sent word and spoke to the sons of Benjamin who were at the rock of Rimen and proclaimed peace to them. Benjamin returned at that time and they gave them the women whom they had kept alive from the women of Jabesh-Gilead, yet they were not enough for them. Now that Israel has practically eliminated Benjamin from uh, the globe, they decide that's not such a good thing. They're missing a tribe now. Now, remember back in Deuteronomy 25, all the provisions that was made even to keep a family from dying out. How that if a a, a man dies childless, it's the responsibility of his brother to marry the widow and raise up seed for him. It was a big thing in Israel to maintain even the family intact and surviving. Can you imagine how they felt about losing a whole tribe. It's not going to be the 12 tribes of Israel anymore. And so it really bothers them. And they're like, what are we going to do about this? Well, they hit upon a plan. They've said none of their daughters can be given as wives for the Benjaminite men. But they found one city that hadn't come to battle and hadn't made that promise. The city of Jabesh. Gilead, the city over on the other side of the Jordan, on the right-hand side of the Jordan. So they go and wipe out that city, find 400 virgins in the city, and bring them back and give them to the Benjamites. That at least takes care of 400 out of the 600. It uh, is interesting to observe the connections between the tribe of Benjamin and that city of Jabesh-Gilead. In the first place, it was in the territory of Manasseh. And there was a special relationship between the tribes of Manasseh and Benjamin, if you stop and think about it. Manasseh was not one of the twelve sons of Jacob. Manasseh was the son of Joseph, Manasseh and Ephraim. And so Manasseh and Benjamin would be like nephew and uncle. And so perhaps there's some logic to choosing a city of one of the nearest kinsmen, as uh, providing virgins for the Benjamite men. Later, Saul, the first king, a Benjamite, his first act as king will be to rescue the city of Jabesh-Gilead, I assume it had been rebuilt, from the Ammonites. And uh, later, the men of Jabesh-Gilead will rescue the body of Saul, after it has died, from the Philistines. And so there's there's always that close tie-in from here on out between Benjamin and Jabesh-Gilead. But but you look at what's going on here, and, well, it, it sort of points out something that's said in verse 12. At the end of verse 12, where they said, They brought them to the camp at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan. Of course Shiloh is in the land of Canaan. All of this is in the land of Canaan. Why does he bother to say that? I suspect he says that because it's not just that physically it was in the land of Canaan, spiritually and morally... They're in the land of Canaan still. They're acting like a bunch of Canaanites. You know, it makes a lot of sense to massacre a city to undo the massacre of a tribe. You know, you wipe out the city to replace the wives for the Benjamites so the whole tribe won't be wiped out. They say in verse uh, 13 that they proclaim peace to the Benjamites, but this peace looks more like chaos. And total lack of, of uh, any kind of law and order, any kind of guidance. They're doing what's right in their own eyes. And it gets worse because that's 400, but they need 600. So look at verse 15. The people were sorry for Benjamin because the Lord had made a breach in the tribes of Israel. Then the elders of the congregation said, What shall we do for wives for those who are left, since the women are destroyed out of Benjamin? And they said, There must be an inheritance for the survivors of Benjamin that a tribe may not be blotted out from Israel. But we cannot give them wives of our daughters. For the sons of Israel had sworn, saying, Cursed is he who gives a wife to Benjamin. So they said, Behold, there's a feast of the Lord from year to year in Shiloh, which is on the north side of Bethel, on the east side of the highway that goes up from Bethel to Shechem, and on the south side of Lebanon. And they commanded the sons of Benjamin, saying, Go and lie and wait in the vineyards, and watch. And behold, if the daughters of Shiloh come out to take part in the dances, then you shall come out of the vineyards, and each of you shall catch his wife from the daughters of Shiloh, and go to the land of Benjamin. It shall come about when their fathers or their brothers come to complain to us, that we shall say to them, Give them to us voluntarily, because we did not take for each man of Benjamin a wife in battle, nor did you give them to them, else you would now be guilty." And the sons of Benjamin did so and took wives according to their number from those who danced, whom they carried away, and they went and returned to their inheritance and rebuilt the cities and lived in them. And the sons of Israel departed from there at that time, every man to his tribe and family, and each one of them went out from there to his inheritance. So look what they do. They've they've come up with a way of getting wives for the Benjamites And not breaking their oath. You see, they took the oath. We can't give our daughters to the Benjamite men as wives. So they tell the Benjamite men, the 200 who are still wifeless, listen, there's this dance that the women come to in Shiloh. And y'all just hide. And then just go out and take them. See, that way they won't be violating the oath. Because we're not giving them away. You're just grabbing them. And if any of their brothers and fathers and all complain, we'll say, well, you've got to do that because, you know, of this oath, and, well, we're not giving them. They just took them, and so everything will be okay. It really doesn't seem a whole lot different to me than what happened to start this whole ball rolling in the first place. They took that concubine and did whatever they wanted to her. You know, when you start going away from God and not respecting his will, where do you stop? I mean, one sin just sort of leads to the other, which leads to the other, and it kind of snowballs on you. And they seem really concerned about not violating their oath, and and they've come up with a rationalization that enables them to think, well, we we haven't broken our oath, but they violate every standard of decency and morality in doing that. And they seem to be more concerned about the Benjamites than they are these poor young ladies that are participating in the feast there in Shiloh. And so, caveman style, these Benjamites are supposed to carry off their women. And now we've got wives for all 600 and we've avoided exterminating an entire tribe. What a mess. It's interesting to compare the book of Joshua with the book of Judges. In the book of Joshua, Israel turns Canaan into Israel. They take over the Canaanites. In Judges, Canaan takes over the Israelites. The Israelites Canaanized themselves. They, they become like the people that they had conquered. And they did it Because they didn't wipe out the Canaanites like God told them to. God had warned them over and over and over again. What would happen if they didn't? And they did it because of verse 25. The very last verse in the book of Judges sums up the whole book, really. In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Clearly, it wasn't what was right in God's eyes. Don't blame him with any of this. They did what was right in their own eyes. I think you could argue that this is one of the most hideous periods in all of Israel's history. This is pathetic. It's really sad. And what's the lesson in it? The lessons are what we talked about a couple of weeks ago. That here's what happens when there's no king. Not so much no human king, but when there's no authority from God. When we say and when we decide that there is no standard of right and wrong, when there is nobody we answer to, when there is no uh, sovereign rule, here's what happens. And it's what happens when everybody follows what they feel like instead of what the Lord says. That, this is what happens in that case. When you follow what you feel like, You end up, like these people, in the depths of depravity and wickedness. What we need to do is realize that we do not know enough to govern ourselves. When we start doing what seems right to us, it's not going to turn out well. And it will go from bad to worse. And we need to realize that we depend on the Lord in every way, including for the guidance in our lives, to know what's right and what's wrong, to know how to live, to know what's best. When they didn't, here's what happens. Some of the horriblest things in all of Israelite history. I appreciate you having studied the book of Judges with me. It's been helpful to me in going through that. I realize we've taken a while, but uh, I think it's, it's, it's really, uh, there's a lot to learn in every every book of the Bible. And uh, we just need to keep reading, keep studying, and, and keep trying to understand the lessons God's got for us in these books. So next Sunday morning, we'll introduce kind of a new line of study that we'll take for the first few months of, of this new year, and uh, we'll talk about some other things. But this evening, if you're not a Christian, we invite you to come and obey the gospel where we stand and sing.